I'm directing you to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And I want to start with verse number 1 and then read verses 6 and 7. Paul is writing and he says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Then in verse 6 and 7, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Father, we thank and praise you tonight for the word of the Lord. I pray that, God, you will use it tonight and you will speak. Speak through me to the people of God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will bless us and help us in Jesus' precious name. Let the church say in Jesus' name. name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm entitling my message tonight, Beaten, Bruised, and Broken. And this will be the first message in a four-part series which I'm going to be bringing you over the next few services. And it's a themed, progressive type of a, of a series that I'm going to be talking to you about. I feel in the Lord to do this. Beaten, bruised, and broken. Abraham Lincoln once said, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Test his character, give him power. And to that, I would add a quote from John Dewey. He said, the deepest urge in human nature is the desire to be important. And so it is because of these two things that God has some work to do in us so that we can be positioned to truly fulfill his plan in our lives. We come to the Lord raw, raw material. But the Lord sees a diamond in the rough. But a diamond in the rough doesn't have much value. It's got value, but it has more potential value than it has actual value. The same thing might be said for gold ore or silver ore or any other type of ore that men can mine from the earth. It comes in the form of a rock. And if you don't know what's in that rock, you will just think it's like any other rock, a useless, worthless rock. But if you know what's in the rock and you're willing to work at it and to purify it and get it out, you can bring something that's good out of that. And that's the work that God has to do for us. And the, the reason, the primary reason why, that in the next few moments I'm going to share with you some, some dark things, but... Uh, the primary reason why that God has to allow darkness into our life is this. It comes down to free will. Everybody say free will. We all know that we have free will, right? And that's the freedom to choose between good and evil, between right and wrong, between God's will and our own will and the will of the world, the will of Satan. Amen. We have, we have the power to choose the, the spiritual direction that we're going to take, but Free will comes with its own set of inherent problems. Now, with free will, we have the power to choose between 
binary choices. Choice A or choice B? Choice one or choice two? God's will or not God's will? It's all God's will and everything on the other side is all not God's will. We have the choice. So that stands, it stands reasonable to assume then that we should have a 50% chance of choosing the right thing, doesn't it? It's a binary choice and we have the power to choose. We ought to at least 50% get it right. But it doesn't, the math does not quite work out that way. And the chance, see, uh, because of, of the fall and because of the curse, we have at the barest minimum a 49% chance of choosing the right thing because of the fall, because of the curse. Because we're born in sin and shaping in iniquity. We're bent automatically in the wrong direction. So it's 51% we're going to choose the wrong thing. You take the best person in the world, the best personality, the best character, the most virtue, the most integrity. You take all of that and you put it together and the very best that they can hope for is a 49% chance to choose the right thing. Because the Bible tells us we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the grace of God. And if anybody says he's not a sinner, he's a liar. That's what the Bible says. So, because of that, actually, because of that, the human fail rate is 100%. It's 100% that we're going to fail. And that's why we became sinners. And you may question, well, now, why would God allow evil in the world when he's trying to win us back from it and pull us away from it and, and get us saved and help us to do the right thing. Why are evil spirits around? Why are devils and demons around? Why are they present in our lives? Well, I can tell you that God allows evil spirits and he allows evil to do two things. To test us, that's number one, to see what we will do. And the second reason is to proof us. Everybody say proof. Proof. Amen. The proof is in the math. Amen. You get a mathematical problem and you're supposed to proof it. Amen. So God allows evil to test us, number one. Give us the choice and see what we'll do with it. And then after a while, after he's worked on us, after he's got us to a point where he feels a little secure and a little comfortable with us, and wants to get some bragging rights, he will allow evil to proof us. Amen. Because you see, amen, it, we always have to be in that position of being able to be tested, even when we're proven that we can pass the test. I think there's more satisfaction in being proofed than there is in test, being tested, don't you? Amen. We all know what it's like to be tested. And if you feel like, well, I've te been tested so many times and I've failed so many times, and you finally get tested and you win, you feel pretty good about yourself. But don't start thinking you're standing just yet. Don't start thinking you're standing just yet. Let he that thinks he stands take care lest he fall. Amen. Because the real, the real deal is in the proofing. Can you, can you handle it again and again and again and again? 
Amen. And when you can handle it over and over again and all questions about you being tested are settled forever and you're above and beyond that temptation, amen, then you have been proofed and God has allowed evil to test us and to proof us. And this process involves three steps. What I call the beaten, bruised, and broken three-step program God has to bring us to the place where he can use us. Oh, hallelujah. Satan means to abuse us every step of the way. Every time he's involved with us, he means to abuse us and to hurt us. He has no good intention in us. He desires no positive outcome. He seizes every moment, every test, every trial as an opportunity to persevere his will against God's will by polluting us, by abusing us, by destroying us, by bringing us to a place, amen, where there is no redemption. He means to abuse us, but God means to free us to rise above the abuse and, and be like God who is above it and can't be touched by it and can't be hurt by it. God is trying to bring you to some place, hallelujah, that is more powerful than anything you ever considered or thought possible in your life. He is wanting to make you an overcomer. He is wanting to make you a victor so that he can put the victor's crown upon your head. Amen. And he is processing us. Amen. By allowing the beatings to happen and allowing the bruising to take place and bringing us to the point that we don't want to go. And that's the point of being broken. Oh, let's give God a hand. Praise a moment. Hallelujah. Servanthood is the sign and seal of spiritual success. It is not the mastery of others or of situations that mark us in God's eyes, that make us outstanding to God, but it is the mastery of self and all of its desires that make us special and useful to God. Oh, hallelujah. Can you say amen, somebody? And if we're disciples of Christ, that means we're followers. We're supposed to follow in his footsteps. And if we follow in his footsteps, we must understand servanthood. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 describes it. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And you know why he did that. He did it so that he could die like we would die. And not only like we would die, but as if we had died. And in our place he died. He substituted our death. Amen. And took it upon himself. Amen. And that is servanthood at its best. Now, no matter where you stand, you cast a shadow. There is a shadow you that goes everywhere you go. Sometimes shadow you follows you. Sometimes it leads you. And sometimes, at least once a day, you stand directly upon it. But what most people don't realize is that there are shadows in the shadows. There are hidden shadows lurking 
in the shadows of our lives. And many people see them. Now, you don't have to have the Holy Ghost to be aware of evil spirits. You don't have to have the gift called discerning of spirits to be able to, to be aware of demons and devils. There are many people in the world today who don't know God and certainly don't know Him like you and I do. Do not have the Holy Spirit, but they come in contact with the spirits in the shadows. Jason Offutt, in his book, Darkness Walks, the Shadow of Pe People Among Us, documents many encounters with dark and evil forces in people's lives. And though he and many others do not know how to understand them, and they call them many things and suppose they are many things, we do know how to understand them. And others do, such as Patrick Heron, who wrote a book, Nephilim and the Pyramid of the Apocalypse. And to quote him, he said, I'm a Bible man, and I take my direction from its truths. That's who these ghosts are, either demons or spirits, which are fallen angels. Absolutely no doubt about it. Folks have difficult, uh, different names for things, but they're all the same entities. Aliens equal ETs equal fallen angels equal evil spirits. I agree with that 110%. I think that's exactly what's taking place. But to kind of set the stage for you tonight, to get you to thinking about these things, I want to just share a couple of stories uh, with you from Offit's book. And one has to do with a certain Ann Williams of Sydney, Australia, who was roused at 3 a.m. one day in 2005 by something that was in her room. It was not friendly. She said, one early morning I felt so strong that there was a presence standing next to my left as my bed was right in the corner of the wall. And I felt as though I was blocked, that like something was standing over me or wanted to scare me. And as I opened my eyes to see what it was, there stood on my left side of the bed a black cloaked hooded figure. The thing leaned over her, its face gray and snowy like a TV screen when it's all fuzzy. The eyes were black and sunken in the snowy face. She said, I screamed and instantly I was pinned to the bed. Only the, the only body part that I could move was my neck area. Everything else was locked to the bed. And lay on her back trying to scream as the figure leaned into her. I felt that it shoved its arm down my neck and was choking me as nothing came out of my mouth. Like no noise. I could not even hear myself scream, but I was. And she tried to scream but couldn't. I was trying to get up, which I could not, she said. I felt it was trying to scare me to death. The figure decided to scare me more. It half went inside me and was cold like ice. And as it went in me, I felt so sick. And then she got angry. So I thought, she said, that's it. I'm going to pray to God. She lay there, still pinned to the bed, choking, crying, and trying to scream. I really felt like I was going to have a heart attack as the thing was so powerful, she said. I had the strength in my soul to pray to God and ask for it to leave me alone. I said angrily in my soul, leave me alone, whatever you are. Leave me alone. You are not welcome to be in my body. It's mine and you don't belong here. Finally, the cloaked shadow man let her go. I got up all in a sweat, and I was like, I saw a ghost. I felt victimized, and it felt like no one could help me. She said, well, 
I know that God helped me. She doesn't understand exactly what happened. I don't know what it was, she said, but I feel that it was evil and it wanted to kill me. And I wonder why this happened to me. It is all a mystery. And the shadow being returned the next day. But Anne said prayer drove the black cloaked thing from her. I flew out of bed and I prayed to God to take it away, she said. I opened my eyes and it was gone. Thank God for his help. But the thing wasn't gone forever. A year later, Anne was lying in another house, living in another house, and it came back. Again, it was in the early morning, she said. I was sleeping on my side and in my ear someone whispered in a male voice, I'm here. People have these experiences. Some of us have had experiences like this. And we know we're not making things up. We know when you've experienced something, you know what you saw. You know what happened to you. Another woman, Kathy Marino of O'Fallon, Illinois, fell asleep one early Friday night in December of 2007. She said that as she was dozing around 5 a.m., she heard a low-level frequency sound in her left ear followed by a whisper. It was a loud whisper. It almost sounded like a different language, she said. I opened my eyes to see the shadow figure hovering over me. As soon as she saw it, the shadow began slamming into her. Every time it hit, it was like a ringing, a ringing sound in my ears. My body went into some kind of convulsion, which really freaked me out, but it only lasted a few seconds. She tried to scream, but no sound came out. I mean, I tried hard to scream, she said, but it was like it took my voice. And I finally just said, leave me alone, even though there was no sound coming out. She said, this shadow was like a woman. It felt like this entity, entity was a female, she said. The voice I heard was a female, but the shadow was very androgynistic, like it didn't have a sex to it. One possible explanation for her experiences uh, is sleep paralysis, but she quickly dismisses this possibility. She said, I know that sleep paralysis is something many people would think happened. She said, all I can say to those is, unless you've actually been attacked in this way, I wouldn't chalk up other people's experiences to that. Having experienced this, I know I was attacked by something. No matter where you are, there's going to be spirits in your life. They're going to be there. And sometimes they're there because we've invited them to be there. Maybe we didn't intend it to happen. Didn't know it would happen. One of the biggest things that Satan does to fool people in this age of scientism is to convince everyone that anything that is spiritual is only a myth and, and that all thoughts of any evil spirits are mere superstition and that there is nothing to the devil. And unfortunately, many of God's dear people are tricked and hoodwinked and convinced into thinking that there's no thing to worry about. There's no really, you don't have to worry about satanic attacks. But we do have to worry about satanic attacks. If Paul had to deal with it, who am I? to think I wouldn't have to deal with it or have a problem with it. A lot of it has to do with what people, the choices that people make. And again, often in his book, talks about Ouija boards and other things that invite evil to operate in people's life. To quote, he says, people sometimes invite evil into their lives willingly or unwillingly. 
All negative entities need is an opening and they will slither in and you might not even know it. And, and uh, active invitations like Ouija boards and passive invitations like alcoholism, drug abuse, emotional abuse, or a gambling problem can all open your world to something sinister. And another person says that these shadow people, so-called shadow people, are lower-level entities. They're deceitful. Generally, the things that come through always tell you they are a friend, a family member, or whatever, adding that you should keep your distance from these tools these entities communicate through. Ouija's to me, said one person, and to almost anyone who's, who's been around one will tell you they are very dangerous. When someone plays with a board, they begin to open up doorways of communication with the other side. And she said, if you do not know how to discern good entities from bad, that's when you wind up with problems. And seances, just like any ghost or spirit that can be called into this realm with a seance or Ouija board, shadow people may be called into. Now, what they're calling shadow people, we call demons, evil spirits. That's what they are, and people see them. I saw one when I was only about five or six years of age in Arkansas, Monticello, Arkansas. We lived, pastored a church there, and, the, and we lived in what was called a shotgun shack. Uh, you can open the front door and see right straight through the house to the back door. You know, those kind of houses. And my, our bedroom was in the back. I could see right through the kitchen and the living room. And, it, and the front door opened up and a figure of a man stepped through. A shadow figure of a man stepped through. And I'm being terrified of somebody entering our house, flipped over in the bed and turned my face away from it. And when I turned back to see, there was nothing there. No one was in the house. No other disturbance was made. I never heard the door close. I never saw it close. I never saw anyone leave. I was just a little child, and I saw that happen. Children are often uh, visited by things in, in the shadows of their rooms, in the closets. And, and you could put it down to childish imagination, but it isn't always childish imagination. And there is a very prevalent interest in the evil forces of this world in children because they're innocent. And if they can to get an advantage in a child's life, they, they can grow up with that person and, and uh, possess that person or oppress that person and, 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 and use that person to do evil things. There is a powerful unleashing of evil in our world as never before. And we know the Bible says that, uh, that, the, that uh, the spirit of the Antichrist is already let loose. Listen, it's only 24 days into the new year and already there have been 12 school shootings. One for every two days. We don't hear the ones reported of where there were no injuries or no one was killed. But that's an amazing thing that's happening. What motivates children and young people to do these terrible, malicious, evil things? It used to take a lifetime to get someone to do this. What would motivate somebody to go to Las Vegas and kill over 50 people and wound over a other 100 other people and no known motive behind it? It is nothing more than the powerful progression of evil spirits that get in the life, 
in the heart and in the minds of people to do evil and terroristic things. And so there are dark things in the shadows of our lives. And folks invite them in by the activities that they get involved in. And they can be of great hurt to you. But it's not all bad spirits. There's a definite connection between God and his people through angels. Angels are God's messengers. They are closely associated with the church and with the church leader, as we see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, to the angel of the various churches. And the Bible says that they are ministering spirits. Hebrews 1 and 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them which shall be heirs of salvation? So they are ministering spirits. And if they can appear to people who are not saved yet, but God in his foreknowledge knows that they're going to be saved and can minister to them and guide them through the processes to the point where they can be saved, then it's also reasonable to believe that evil spirits also can be involved with people who are not saved. We're told that angels stand between children and God to protect them, that angels report child abuse directly to God in heaven. Martin Luther believed that angels are spiritual creatures created by God without a body for the service of Christendom and the church. John Calvin believed that they regard our safety and undertake our defense. John Milton of Paradise Lost said that millions of spiritual creatures walk the earth when we sleep and when we wake. Paul had a very powerful ministry and he had an unusual walk with God. He saw things. He saw things, and it refers to his personal revelations. Unless you discount it or put it toward the end of his life, his whole beginning walk with God had to do with a personal revelation. He saw something and heard something on a road trip to Damascus, and thus began his conversion. He saw the spirit of divination in the young woman uh, and was and cast it out. He ascended into the third heavens and saw things which he could not utter. He had many revelations, but he had also along the way been beaten, hadn't he? Been literally beaten, been shipwrecked, been left for dead, been hungered, did, did without clothes, was imprisoned. He suffered. He was beaten. He was bruised. And when you're beaten, you get bruised. Some people bruise easily, but all people bruise. But I'm speaking tonight of unseen bruises. I'm speaking of the bruise to the soul, the psyche. PTSD is a psycho-spiritual bruising, and most people never get over it. The Me Too movement speaks to the bruising of the psychosexual trauma that occurs in people's lives. There's many things that cause us to be bruised, not literally physically in our body, but worse in our soul, in our, in our spirit, which directs all other functions of our life. It is what comes out of a man that pollutes a man, not what goes into a man, but what comes out of us. And uh, we are shaped by things that occur on our life, but just 
Having something happen to you will not necessarily make a change in you. It's how you deal in your mind and in your soul about the things that happen to you that cause the changes to take place in your life. Think about that for a moment. Hallelujah. You can't take something from someone who doesn't allow you to take it from them. Corey Timboom tells us about being in, in, in the concentration camps in Germany and the terrible things that she suffered and went through and the people being killed all around her and the suffering and the injustice and, uh, and her own sister died in the hands of the German uh, guards in the prison camp, died there. And, and her sister would plead with her, Corey, she said, don't hate, Corey, don't hate you see, a lot of survivors that came out of those concentration camps survived because they hated. They hated so strongly, it gave them the power to survive and come out. But when they did, their spiritual lives were changed forever, and they did not believe in God anymore. But for Corey, a Christian, the answer would not be to survive through hate, but to survive through not hate. And not hate is a choice that is difficult to make. It's easy to hate somebody for something they did to you that hurt you. But it is the hardest thing in the world to not hate them and to let it go and to forgive. It's the hardest, most difficult thing you will ever do to not hate. But they cannot take from you what you will not give them. Amen. And if you uh, will allow them to take hate from you for the evil that they do for you, evil gets perpetuated. It doesn't get diminished. It only sustains. It only grows. But if we refuse to allow it to come out of us, and only the only way we can get to that point is to be beaten and to suffer the bruising, but to get on the other side and to say, I am broken to this. Oh, let's give God a hand praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We get bruised in other ways. But the danger in bruising to us is recall. Recall. Well, I, I recollect you did such and such to me on such and such a date. And it always comes up, always comes up. The danger of bruising is recall. And recall is a seed that grows a root, the root of bitterness. The Bible warns us, lest the root of bitterness will spoil us. It will ruin us. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm bruised. I need to comfort my bruise. I need to pet my bruise. I need to baby my bruise. And I want you to baby my bruise. I want everyone to baby my bruise. See, I've been beaten. I've been bruised. And I recollect and I recall. And there's a root of bitterness there. And it will grow into a tree. It will overpower every other good thing in a person's life. You can't get past that root of bitterness you're not growing the fruit of the Spirit. You're growing from the tree of the root of bitterness. Instead of grace, instead of mercy, instead of tolerance, instead of forgiveness, 
you grow hate, you grow apathy, you grow resentment, <clears throat> you grow bitterness, you grow evil speaking, you grow maliciousness, you, you, you grow desire for revenge. The worst thing comes out of it, amen, is the fruit of vengeance. And the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay, hallelujah, amen. But God can't do that job until we finally realize that we are broken, broken to the thing that wounded us, beat us, and bruised us. Hallelujah. For us to understand this three-step process, being beaten, bruised, and broken, we have to take a step back from the, our view of ourselves, and we have to begin to see ourselves through the master potter's eyes. It's only when we can see what God sees that we realize what God is doing in our lives, that we're not the person we thought we were. You see, God allowed Paul to be buffeted. He allowed it to happen because it served a greater purpose, which was his soul's salvation. Because I said at the beginning, the ultimate test of a man's character is to give him power, and that men always desire to be great. We want to be great. We're trying to be something we're not yet. And it's strongest in us when we're in our younger and tender years. Look at any child growing up wanting to get the mastery of something, wanting to prove themselves, wanting to find their place. They're always continuously pushing, 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 pushing people ahead of them. Amen. Why? Because they want to prove their worth. They want to prove that they've got it. Move over. Let me show you what I can do. Step aside, let me, let me have the reins. Let me drive the car a while. Let me show you what I can do. I want to show you that I can get mastery. I want to excel. I'm going to beat you down. I'm going to be better than you are. It's an innate desire. It's almost an unrecognizable desire. It's one that our culture encourages to the hilt with our competitiveness, our drive for competition, to prove ourselves better than everyone else and to get mastery and to master other people and other situations. But as I said at the beginning, amen, to be valuable in God's eyes, amen, is to master the self, amen. And that's the last thing that we want to do. You see, before God can use us, he has to trust us to do what he wills and not what we will. Hallelujah. Job tells us this in Job 5, 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. For he maketh sore and he bindeth up. He woundeth and his hands make whole. He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, oh, hallelujah. Amen. We ought to, like Paul, thank God, amen, for the, for the marks in our body, hey, the marks of Christ in our body. Paul said, I rejoice in tribulation. I rejoice in trouble. He said, bring it on, bring it on, because I understand, hallelujah, that I must be crucified with Christ to live. I have to die to myself, and therefore I die daily. Oh, give God a hand praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How hard is it for us to let go of something that is broken? Hallelujah. If a possession of yours, it's something that you, that 
useful to you and something happens to it. I don't know how many times in my life my wife's come to me with a little something precious that she had. That something happened to it, be a piece of ceramic or some other thing, and it gets broken, and she comes to me with her little hands and that little object in her hands. And honey, she said, Can this be fixed? Can you fix it? Can you fix it? And I'll try. I'll try. And sometimes I can sort of uh, cob a situation together, amen, and make something work, amen. And, and you can glue porcelain together, but there'll still be a crack there and a chip there. Amen. The thing was broken. And how hard is it for us to let go of something that is broken? It's hard. It's hard. That's why we don't recognize the broken state. Because we're still hanging out in the beaten and bruised state. Not willing to be broken because we think if we're broken, that's it. What do you do with stuff that's broken? You throw it out in their trash. It's broken. Can't use it anymore. Hallelujah. God speaking to somebody tonight. You think you broke it. But you didn't break it. Hallelujah. God is using it. Amen. To bring something out in you. But he needs you to get to a place. Amen. Where you can trust God. And realize that you're not the big old thing that you think you are. You're not the great big old thing that you. You're not all that. Hallelujah. But God needs to get you to understand. That without him we can do nothing. Hallelujah. You see. People that can't forgive people have never been broken. You're still hanging out in the beaten and bruised state of mind where you desire and seek vindication when you need to seek the grace to forgive because the root of bitterness is the result of unforgiveness. And if we can never move past it into healing, we'll never be healed until we let go of the cause of the suffering. Hallelujah. It's only when you set it aside and say, look, I've been there and I've done that. I'm broken. It broke me. It can't touch me anymore. It can't hurt me anymore. You'll never hurt me again. You've hurt me for the last time. You'll never touch me again. You'll never hurt me again. I'm past you. I'm above you. I'm beyond you. Hallelujah. I put it behind me. I'm not going to cherish the memory. I'm not going to bother to recollect it. Hallelujah. I'm done with hurting. I'm done with pain. I'm done with suffering. I'm tired of petting my bruises and seeking comfort from everybody else. Hallelujah. I'm ready to die to self so that I can rise above. I'm going to rise above it. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Surrender may be the hardest thing in life to do, but we must if we are to be free. Being broken is not being trashed. It's beginning again. It's starting over. Hallelujah. Because the potter took the vessel with the littlest imperfection in it and he squashed it down. 
And he started over again. Because the potter is not going to be done until he is satisfied with the product. Until he's got it exactly the way it's meant to be and should be. And you ought to thank God for that. Stop sucking on your thumb, your spiritual thumb, and crying like a baby. Amen. When things don't go your way, and you think God's not treating you right, and all these bad things have happened to you or are happening to you, hallelujah, die to it. Give it to God. Allow yourself to be broken. If you're going to get beaten, you might as well get broken. Because as long as you refuse to break, the beating will continue. The beatdown will continue. Because God has to test us before he can prove us. Oh, this is powerful stuff. Hallelujah. Powerful stuff. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice. Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, But the God of all grace, who have called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Hallelujah. God's got big plans for us. But are we willing to let him work? Hallelujah. Amen. God doesn't want to medicate your pain. He wants to make a survivor of you. This is a pain management program. How well can you manage your pain? He's not going to medicate your pain. And make an addict out of you. But he is going to make a survivor of you because he wants you to grow past and rise above the suffering. Till you can get to the place where it cannot touch you anymore. Because your life is safely in his hands and you know it. Hallelujah. I think we should have a little altar call tonight before we close. I just feel the spirit lingering here. Hey, maybe you want to come and pray. But I want to close with this thought from Buddy Hackett. Buddy Hackett said, I've had a few arguments with people, but I never carry a grudge. And you know why? Because when you're carrying a grudge, they're out dancing. It ain't worth it. Let it go. It's not worth it. Hallelujah. Hey, Amen. Why don't we just come and gather? Let's just come and gather for a few moments before we leave tonight. Hallelujah. Let's gather. Lord, I want to be surrendered to you. I want to be surrendered. This thing that's been standing in my way, I haven't been able to get behind it or let it go or be rid of it. God, I'm giving it to you today. Hallelujah. I'm giving it, Lord. I understand. I understand what you're trying to do in me. I understand. I've been resisting being broken. I've been fighting being broken. But God, the whole point is to get there. I need to get there. I need to allow it. I need to accept it. I need to surrender to it. Oh, God, because I can't become a servant until I've learned how to surrender. My will to your will. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, mighty God. You are the mighty God. You are the mighty God. And I praise you. Thank you, Lord, today.
there's some people in this altar that need ministering to. If you feel that in your heart, would you find that person and pray with them? Amen. Somebody near us may be hurting tonight, going through something and they need to be ministered to. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God, I reach out to my brothers and my sisters in the Lord. Hallelujah. They're going through something and I want to pray for them and sustain them and help them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I need you, Lord. 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 Touch and move, our brothers and sisters. Touch and move, our brothers and sisters, Lord. Minister to the suffering and those that are hurting and those that are in pain and those that are broken. Minister to them, Lord, I pray. Touch and move for your people. Touch and move for your people, God. Help your folks, God. Help your people. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Release us, Lord, I pray, to that surrender, God, that will heal our souls and our spirits. Release us to you. Hallelujah. 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 Release us to you. Hallelujah. Praise God. I look back on my life. I talked to you a little bit about it on Sunday and our message passed. One of the things that I didn't mention that was in my notes for Sunday was that all those years I would wonder why, why God didn't come through for me sooner, why he didn't answer prayer, why he didn't fulfill those promises, why he didn't do it sooner than he did. And it was because I wasn't ready, amen, to be blessed in that way. Wasn't ready, amen. There were things that had to be worked out in me. I had to get to the point. I had to reach the place where arriving there and getting those things didn't matter anymore. I had to reach the spot where it just didn't matter anymore. And I had given it up to God. Just said, it is what it is. My life is what it is. My ministry is what it is. That's, that's it. And when I did, when I did, that's when the change began. That's when the turnaround started. That's when the miracles began to take place and the blessings began to come. Hallelujah. 
You've got to get to the point where it doesn't matter to you anymore. And you just let God work in your life and do what he wants to do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Thanks for listening to me. Hallelujah. I got three more up my sleeve here, so stay tuned. God bless you. We're dismissing Jesus' name.